Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Um, I didn't write an intro, so that's good. Let's go <laughs> off the head. I won't be as slick as you. Um, oh, <laughs> I almost he's good. He's good. <laughs> <laughs> this is it. We've started now. This is already the start. My intro was saying I haven't got an intro now. I have tricked us all. This is this was a mighty trick to welcome everyone to the Squidge Rugby World Cup Retrospective <laughs> podcast. I am joined as ever by Mr. Will Owen. How are you doing? I'm very well, and uh, I'm thrilled that your presenting skills are, are upped in the presence of professionals. This is it. This is it, right? Because I am absolutely thrilled to finally be joined by someone. I think we've we've praised a number of times on this podcast. We've mentioned when doing our, you know, when having odd rants about commentary and going like, but there are shining examples. You know, there's <laughs> there's Jamie Lyle, there's Miles Harrison, and there's the one, the only Claire Thomas. So I'm going to run through, right? <laughs> Presenter, commentator, writer of articles, g- columnist for Rugby Pass, pitch side reporter, yes. Fishomania correspondent. Oh, very good. You've really done your research. <laughs> We've um, been looking for one of those on this podcast for such a long time. Such a long time. I cannot tell you how thrilled I was when I got to do Fishomania because it was at that moment that I had Sky Sports bingo. I'd covered every single sport in the portfolio. <laughs> leaving Sky that month and I was wow. with my line manager a couple of months before to that and she said, is there anything you want to do before you leave? And I don't think she was expecting me to say I want to be a peg reporter. Porter. that's the official term but I said that's exactly what I wanted and one two skip a few hours Bankside and Bolton speaking to the Lionel Messi of fishing <laughs> who is the Lionel Messi of fishing he's called Jim Taylor and he is, he is excellent excellent angler I just specialized my whole time I was at Sky in learning about niche sports picking them up mm. becoming a pro in them and then putting them down to move on to the next slightly quirky thing and it's just so fun and with Fishermania you got to tread this beautiful line between laughing at the fact you were covering fishing on Sky Sports main event for 10 hours but also knowing that genuinely to these people it's the biggest day of their lives yeah yeah Mm. fishing live on Sky Sports it's their FA Cup final Mm. so you've got to do them justice whilst also accepting that there are people tuning in from home looking for a jolly yeah, I remember as a kid watching Fishomania and then putting up a profile of the fish oh, and yes. saying like, nickname, Dr. Fish, <laughs> likes swimming. That will never leave me. I we, will always... We would laugh at the concept of Fishomania as children <laughs> quite a lot. I've got to say, like, what is truly the most impressive thing about the guests that we have on here is that you have, you've named three different sports and, like, none of that was edited down. There wasn't a half-hour break to realise what who Jim Taylor is. Like, that was off the dome. Like, that's seriously <laughs> impressive. You're on a rugby podcast and you've got that just on the dome, ready to go. That's He's seriously... He's into my memory, honestly. The whole day will live with me for the rest of my broadcasting career. And I have to say, before I forget, I cannot believe I just got mentioned in the same breath as Jamie Lyle and Miles Harrison, who are two of oh. my great commentary heroes. So that feels like praise that I'm certainly not worthy of. No, no, but I think the, the really wonderful thing about you as a commentator, if I may 
if I may have a moment at the start. Um, We've just had a conversation off air about how much we all hate getting praised, by the way. Carry on. <laughs> is how great, like, you clearly do your research, you know your stuff, you know everything you're talking about, be it Fisher Mania, be yeah. it, you know, Japan against Fiji in this World Cup or the, the Women's World Cup last year. You will know the players, you'll know everything inside out, and you'll approach it with such passion and genuine enthusiasm yeah. that it's an absolute joy to listen to every it's time. It's not just the fact that you know the players, but it comes across that like you love all of the players, and like <laughs> you have a genuine joy for watching it, like a, a gratitude to watch every single one of them, and that is so infectious as like as a fan, as you know, as we both are, as a consumer, and yeah, th- that's why it's such a joy every single time. It's like, oh yeah, you know, Claire's commentating on this game, you know, let's tune in. And like you're clearly a very good and articulate broadcaster. But there's, you know, there's there's so many of those in the industry. And the thing, as I said, I think it's the thing that really sets you apart is the the sheer passion and attention. And I think that's why I group you naturally with Jamie Lyle in particular, because I think that comes across from both of you. I think you're mm. a really great commentator and a joy presenting, you know, every week in the Premier 15s. It's, yeah, the, the amount of times I have stayed to watch halftime coverage when watching yes, Premier 15s. Yes, and It's so coverage. much higher than than watching other leaks. Yeah. I mean, that's all just far, far too kind. I've a million, million miles to go yet. I'm a fledgling commentator. I'm barely weaned, but I am absolutely <laughs> loving it. And if that comes across, then I will take that. And actually, yeah, Jamie just, he bloody loves it, doesn't he? You can mm. tell. And Miles Harrison, I think particularly these days where he, he was unwell a couple of years mm. ago and he had to take a little bit of time off. He's so glad to be there. He's so grateful for and in love with his craft. And he was one of the very first people that believed in me and took me under his wing. And oh, wow. He came into Sky on a day off once and some of the directors and producers rigged up an England-Australia game at Twickenham that had been played a couple of years previously and let me do a dry run of commentary with Miles as my co-commentator. It was the first time I'd oh. ever seen anything. And they all just gave up their free time and came in and had a listen to see if I had what it took or if there was anything there that they could nurture. And Miles, ever since then, has been alongside me every step of the way. And I get messages constantly. And he tunes into things like the Prem 15s. Miles Harrison doesn't have time to listen to the Premier 15s, but he does because he wants to support me. So I think oh, it's what a legend. To know that he's a fan favourite of this pod too. That's that's absolutely wonderful. That's amazing. That's how is that? How is that feeling of again, someone that I think everyone that grew up watching rugby grew up with certainly in the UK grew up with his voice in your ears constantly kind of the voice of Lions Tours the voice of the European Mm. Cup in particular and then there he is as your co-com suddenly it's completely wild I spend so much of my life at the moment pinching myself I'm just I'm black and blue I'm a Dalmatian with a microphone (laughs) I just can't believe all these opportunities that are coming my way and some of the people that I get to spend time with but what's so lovely is that they say never meet your heroes and I'm consistently meeting my heroes and their surpassing expectations. And they're also just really normal. Mars Harrison is just a really lovely bloke who cares about rugby, but also will natter to you about cricket or what his family are up to, or, oh, I think this coffee's not very well made or whatever it might be. And everyone is like that. It's really genuinely great. So were you always wanting to head towards commentary and presenting? Was that always kind of the, the goal? Actually, no. I went to university as someone who had edited the school newspaper, the New nice. 
shout out, and yeah. also played a lot of sport. I grew up with an incredibly sporty dad and did everything. And um, so I went to uni and thought, right, I'm going to write for the paper and I'm going to play lacrosse and do athletics. Those are my two sports. And then because I was a legend, I lost my voice <laughs> during Freshers Week really quite badly. I sounded like Barry White, but if I had <laughs> my And it never came back. And it was Easter holidays of first year. And I still sounded like, uh, what another comparison, Marge Simpson. And so I went to go see an ENT specialist and they put a camera down my nose and they said, you've damaged your voice box. And it's never going to be the same again. So you can give up on those dreams of being a soprano at the Royal Opera. And genuinely, as an offhand comment, the ENT specialist said, yeah, but you've got a good voice for radio now. Um, (laughs) So I literally told you that. Fishomania. Well, exactly, exactly. It's deep, it's gravelly, it's soothing for the fish. It brings them to the sun. <laughs> um, so I headed on back to York and immediately signed up for student radio and started reading news bulletins and just completely fell in love with it. So then I spent every summer holiday I could when I wasn't waitressing at Sandown Racecourse doing whatever work experience I could get my mitts on at various radio stations and newspapers mm. and eventually got some work experience at Sky Sports. And somehow persuaded them to let me come back the next week as a runner on a trial shift. Oh. We didn't leave for five years. And then, yeah, <laughs> and you know, I'm covering Fishermania. Wow. <laughs> has, has rugby always been like a part of your life growing up and everything then? Because you say you've got, you come from quite a kind of sporty background, sporty family mm. and so on. What about rugby specifically? Has that always been a part of it? Is that something you've kind of nurtured later on? Six Nations World Cups, absolutely. But we were... <laughs> Very much a fair weather rugby household. So, yeah, I would watch as much of those as I could, but nothing club level came into my life until university, which is really late. Mm -hmm. So, actually, I found that quite difficult when I first arrived at Sky because obviously it was the home of the Heineken Cup and people would throw it back constantly to matches that had taken place before I was even aware that this competition really existed. So, I understood the rules. I was really passionate about it. I used to go watch the university teams play all the time, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know a thing. You know, Agara's drop goal passed me by completely didn't know that had even happened and so I've got so much back catalogue to work through luckily I was aware of the 07 World Cup so when you asked <laughs> this particular episode I was very much aware of the Fijians as someone who is Welsh um so very much aware of what they did in that competition we won't talk about that um, but I, hadn't I hadn't seen this game so it's good to watch it back yeah so do you remember roughly where you were at the 2007 World Cup do you remember it happening or um, with the family and again just sitting down to watch the odds the mm. odds match definitely remember the final because mm. I had a Simba soft toy oh, um, hello growing up and we dressed him for the final in a St George's flag and put, built a, a tower of various household objects like a sort of moatly Christmas tree and we put Simba on top of it for the final to bring England good luck in what I seem to remember was a match that was turgid enough that I didn't really pay it much attention as a <laughs> yes. but there was that shrine to Simba and therefore to England. So I assume it's a lion thing as I'm realizing as I'm saying this rather than being an African animal that you're anglicizing oh, you know to take the, the luck across. I was very yeah. much expecting that you were going to say you were supporting South Africa. <laughs> mm, no absolutely not I think I, I support Wales in all things sports got half my family from Pontypris and so that I think that's where the rugby the rugby comes from it's just it's in me you know but I I was I would support England in that England South Africa final I think apart I say that 2019 I'd fallen so hard in love with Sir Polisi and his men I think maybe I was on the fence who hadn't who hadn't at that point I mean brilliant yeah I think we're in similar boats in terms of having vague memories of this tournament 
And so it being reasonably fresh, it being reasonably fresh heading into it. The other thing, I suppose, is so is it just last year you kind of hopped off the Sky Sports train and headed towards the presented the Premier 15s, the commentating all over the place, doing ITV's coverage of the World Cup last year, seemingly being absolutely everywhere in the best possible way. (laughs) What led to that and how were you finding that kind of jump? Sky were amazing. And when I was approached by the RFU to do some bits on the Prem 15s, when Mm. they first started taking that production in-house and doing all of it, they said, yeah, absolutely, you can do that. We support you. But Mm. your job here has to come first. We're the ones paying your salary and it can't compromise your work for us as an assistant producer who was just starting to report. And so, yeah, I did six day weeks, if not seven day weeks for a couple of years. And I would genuinely finish up in an edit suite at 7 p.m. on a Friday night. And then I would stay at Sky till 10, 11 o'clock prepping for the next day's Prem 15s game. Or I would get back from a Prem 15s game and go straight in Sky and do an overnight NBA shift. And it was just absolutely exhausting. I had a couple of proper burnouts. I just got to the point where I was getting off of more and more rugby work and having to turn it down because my job at Sky, I loved it. And it had to come first. And Mm. I thought, this isn't this isn't working anymore. I'm too tired. I feel like I'm spreading myself way too thin and that I reckon I can just about pay my bills doing rugby and rugby alone. So I said to them, I'm going to head off. Thank you so much. It's been amazing. Uh, I gave them a good eight months notice or something ridiculous. So they had plenty of time to replace me with someone better. And then I headed off and yeah, so I still believe in better. I still carry that sky value. (laughs) But I now work for Claire Thomas Media Limited. The perks aren't as good, the Christmas. (laughs) But it's really, really nice. I've got all that freedom. And yeah, I've been really lucky. I've had lots of people show faith in me and give me opportunities in the last, whatever it's been, eight months. Yeah, Mm. I mean, yeah. I I don't know if your Christmas party is quite as competitive as mine was the first few years Squid Rugby. When for, I mean, the the amount of hula hoops I ate on my own (laughs) was a glorious evening every year. Do you also agree that it's way less fun pulling a cracker when it's with yourself? No, because you oh. definitely get the toy. And <laughs> yeah. more importantly, the hat, which is the key mm. bit of any cracker. It does mean that you have to laugh at the joke because you're not telling it to another person. Oh, you don't. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> Asking yourself a riddle and trying desperately not to cheat and look at the upside down. paper. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the Christmas party wasn't great. There are certainly fewer perks, but every single day that I do work-wise now is fun. And mm, good. Like that, really That's good. good to hear. And obviously it's working out for you, you know, that like having watched all your stuff on the Rugby World Cup and as you said a minute ago, Robbie, like Premier 15s and like the stuff you do for Rugby Pass on the Premier 15s is great. And like the ability to then be able to still engage with the league like during the weeks and stuff mm. uh, is is so good and like this season is definitely the most I've felt like I've managed to keep on top of the Premier 15s oh. um, and I think I think that that has definitely played a part in it so thank you I suppose is what I'm trying to say oh pleasure I just I'm so passionate about it as a league mm. I absolutely love it I love the individuals involved from the coaches to the players to the fans there's such an engaged and positive group of people that follow that product and the rugby is sparkling I just it's it's all of the best bits of women's rugby and it's all Mm. on your doorstep it's brilliant so getting to work on it week in week out and also the access you get is obscene I love I love covering the men's game and I definitely want to do both going forwards but Mm. I can't whatsapp Steve Borthwick two days before a game and say, oi, oi, can I get the team sheet early? And then can I phone you 20 minutes to talk about the match? 
and always get a response and have coaches falling over themselves to help and support because they want to grow the game as much as I do. So it's very, That's very good to cover it. And the, the nutty things like when you can drag a guest in at half time with 30 seconds notice and you don't have a running order to follow. So it's just kind of right. Who's knocking around Hannah Bosserman. She's always great crack. Hannah, Hannah. Come on. <laughs> um, and that's your half time sorted. It's so good. That's fantastic. Hence why I stay so often and end up watching <laughs> right the way through. No, thank you. That's great. It's a it's a delight. It's a delight to look. You know, I love to fill in the, the the gaps, as it were. I've lost track of words, as you said. We've got a professional presenter, and now I'm going. <laughs> what? How do you do this? If you want to replace Robbie on next week's pod, Claire, you're more than welcome. Well, I'm just going to say my top tip for you. I know you don't have any time since the Six Nations, but it just sounds to me like you need some time off. I am much better <laughs> at my job when I'm well rested. Yeah, yeah. I I agree with you it's easier said than done but <laughs> I, I, I agree with you well like let let me shoulder some of the burden tonight give me mm. an hour I'll come up with a few silly ways of saying Johnny Saxton's name if you like <laughs> and I'll come up with another another way of describing Dupont than a fridge on legs if you like fridge on legs is very good that's very good fridge on legs is that mine absolutely yeah I've... because I try not to say it in commentary <laughs> like, that's such an obvious squidgism this is the problem I've got, though, is I have written so many videos where I've written versions of the same joke so many times, I've completely <laughs> lost track of them. Like, there are times I'll write a line, I'll be like, oh, no, that's something I wrote in, in 2018. They'll be like, no one remembers by now, surely. <laughs> and then someone does. It's a very specific problem to me. <laughs> I have that issue, though, all the time with work because I love just in life when I'm out on my bike, when I'm out running, whatever, coming up mm. with fun ways of describing things in rugby. Mm. And I bottle them and I have them up my sleeve ready for commentary. And then if I use it on a moment that isn't absolutely awesome, I'm livid at myself because it's so distinctive. I then can't use it again. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. yeah. Fun fact, Sarah Orchard thought mm. of Behave Abby Dow <laughs> for the match. That oh, wow. And... A good commentator always speaks. I say that like I'm a good, you know, like I'm a, an oracle on all of this. This is just what I've been told by very good commentators. You should never script things or pre-plan things. It's got to mm. be spontaneous, or it will sound as though you've come up slightly ahead of time. But you can always come into a game with ideas. And Sarah thought of behave Abby Dow, and then Dow makes that break, and Sarah went with it. And do you remember it briefly looked as though she was going to be stopped, and the try wasn't going to happen? And Sarah said, in that moment, as the opposition defender, and I cannot remember who it was dashed across and the covering tackle looked on Sarah thought oh, I've wasted it it's not <laughs> going to be in the highlights it's not going to go on Twitter I've come up with this wicked line I've delivered it with all of that pizzazz and no one's ever going to hear it and she said she was so goddamn relieved when Abby Dow crossed that whitewash because she knew it was fine and it wasn't a squandered idea she didn't listen to her and behave no she kept she being as naughty Abby as Dow possible doesn't. She, she doesn't, doesn't. naughty naughty rugby player and that's why we love her that is one of my favourite lines of commentary in a long time. It's I can't now see Abby Dow, who is one of my favourite players to watch, end mm-hmm. up without thinking of it. It's just it's always going to be linked to her in my brain. There's, between that and Nick Mullins saying Abby Wow when she scored in the semi final, between yeah. those two, yeah, um, oh, and it's both the scoring worldies. Same thing though that I use so many jokes on the word turnover or puns on the word turnover in that Sam Warburton video that I now have none left. <laughs> I, I used them all up That was right like five away. years ago, though, so that you're was all right. five years ago, though. And it was like, well, I by that point, I'd used, like, bakery terms, turnovers. Yeah. I'd used, there's a, there's a Japanese album called Turnover that was a Japanese number one. I'd used up 
everything would turn over in my head on the internet within a year of starting the channel. And that was a nightmare. I didn't realize I was going to have to write 200 more of those and try and come up with interesting ways to say, and he he nicks the ball. Because you just pretend that breakdowns don't exist going forward. It's a a small part of the game these days. Hey, that was Wayne Pivak's approach. Yeah, there we go. Exactly. (laughs) Only cover sevens and then it won't matter. (laughs) We have just learned that Claire is a back. (laughs) I actually have never played. I've played top rugby once with Nick Heath, but I've never played proper (laughs) full contact rugby (laughs) and nor will I. Um, And that's fine. Being a back's a mindset rather than necessarily a position. Mm. It's the most nicky thing that he just dragged you into a game of touch rugby he's been because we live fairly close to one another in london oh, okay for such a long time come down play touch and i love all sports so i thought i'd give it a whirl and i honestly loved it and i'm really paranoid that he thinks that i didn't and i was being disingenuous when i told him how fun it was because i haven't made it down since but i genuinely haven't been free so nicky if you're listening i do want to come back to touch um i haven't been available i once had this conversation with nick about us starting like a not an all-stars touch team, but like a, some sort of like <laughs> invitational, yeah, invitational touch team of like people who've done rugby media stuff and you'd be very welcome to join. But Nick was like, no, but I take it too seriously. <laughs> He's like, no, no, I, I wouldn't take it as a messing about novelty team. Like I'd want us to be mm-hmm. deadly serious, otherwise I'm not playing. He does take it fairly seriously. What's the best touch team name you've ever heard? Oh, geez. That's My grand plays for a team called Touch Courage, which I really like. That's good. That's good. That's good. I used to play for a team called Touch Too Much, which <laughs> Very fine. is a solid six out of ten. Yeah. But it's not as good as Touch Courage. Nothing is. I used to be in an athletics club called Your Pace or Mine. That's good. That's good. That's good. Mm-hmm. There's some good ones out there. There's lots of, you know, if you can take the time, it's like pub quiz names. You never regret the time mm. invested in a, in a concoction like that. Yeah. And you don't just go with quiz on my face. Oh, yeah. Everyone's heard it. So there's a pub quiz night that I've, I regularly go to, and there is one team that every single week enter as Quizzy Rascals. And okay. it's like, if it was Quizzy Rascals singular, I think it would work. Mm. But I think because they've pluralised it, I, I'm just not a fan. No, I, I used to run a pub quiz briefly, and I, in another life, and <laughs> one week there were three teams called Quiz on My Face. Jesus. I'll tell you what, there was so similar, similar anecdote. The same quiz night that I've Mm. gone to, we weren't there the previous week and then we turned up the following week and it turned out they'd announced the previous week that it was a Harry Potter themed night and you've probably figured out where this is going. Mm. There were multiple teams called You're a Quizzed Harry. You know that's coming. You know that's coming. Why? But anyone, anyone who honestly thinks quiz on my face or you're a quizzed Harry is a, a viable and innovative quiz name isn't going to win. So at least I know no. they're not my competition. It's true. It's true. Yeah. So speaking of <laughs> Wayne Pivak's influence a few minutes ago, it's bloody the 2007 Fiji team. And <laughs> they played against Japan in a game of rugby in 2007. Which is what right. this podcast is about, allegedly. Yes. This, that was a rumour. I have since found the tape that confirms this did did indeed <laughs> take place in Toulouse of all places. And I think this is like, we'll get onto this as we go on. I don't know how much exposure you'd had to kind of watching older games back from this era, Claire. How was the kind of, yeah, experience of falling back into rugby from way back when? Oh, I mean, it started the second I hit play on YouTube because, oh my God, the titles on Network 10 were just a thing to behold. There was this kind of 
really kitsch true detective dual exposure thing going on <laughs> yeah. um, and all this calligraphy font on the screen and every single clip was just covered in smoke effects mm. uh, to kind of evoke this sense of mystique but actually what it did for me really nostalgically was it took me back to the fact that in the noughties you could smoke indoors so the whole thing just looked like this fume of cigarette smoke and it was yeah it was so dated and so magical because it really did take me right back Maybe and then that was course, it. the titles disappear and you mix through to the studio and it's just four men in suits gathered around a plinth. And so like, <laughs> we, re- we really are back in the noughties, aren't we? Yep. Four white men having a very casual chat about nothing. Do you like think every podcast. <laughs> Do you think the whole thing was just done on a projector and somebody just accidentally had a smoke in front of it? Do you think oh, that was how it happened? That's it. It was around the time of the smoking ban and they went, okay, we want to, we want to make, keep the effect going, make people think they're actually in the pub. We're just going to put this effect on all sports forever. Yes. God. Yeah. Back when people, well, actually I say that I was at Twickenham a couple of weeks ago and I bumped into mm. Greg Wallace from MasterChef. Oh, wow. Um, who was smoking a cigar. So it clearly is <laughs> going on at these stadiums. Inside the ground? Well, a- about a metre outside of the gate, but still within the, the Twickenham territory, I think. I think what? technically he was at the stadium. What a life he's living. Honestly, <laughs> living his best life. He was in a Peaky Blinders cap. He was in a little pleat jacket. He was dunking his cigar into his beer, which I told Nick Mullins about afterwards. And Mullins, who's a bit of a cigar aficionado, looked really, really pained at the thought that someone would dunk a cigar into a beer. But it didn't seem to, to bother Greg at all. That is the most surprising, unsurprising fact I've ever learned. Nick Mullins being a cigar. My mind is blown. Yeah, <laughs> that makes total sense. That makes total sense. Of course it does. He's so suave. He is. He is. He is. No, I I met him once and I couldn't get over him having a face. That's weird <laughs> to me. That's weird to me. I've seen, you, you know, he does those talking heads occasionally for BT Sport or whatever, but I still, every time I'm in denial, so I just look away from the screen. Just like, that's not Nick Mullins. They're, they're too much away. That's Nick Mullins. That's Nick Mullins. Nobody, no face, like, just a voice. It made more sense when I looked down at his shoes and was like, I'm just hearing his voice casually <laughs> when you're actually making eye contact with him. That's so funny. That's like when you're a kid and someone tries to tell you that Father Christmas isn't real and you put your fingers in your ears and you're like, la, 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 la. but it's the I, opposite version because you want to hear Nick and not see him. I just <laughs> want to say for the sake of listeners that um, Claire was being satirical there and Santa Claus is real. Yes, sorry, obviously. In in a world in which Father Christmas weren't real, that might happen. Mm. Hypothetically, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so Japan play Fiji. <laughs> 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 There's a true professional. So, yeah, this is the 2007 Rugby World Cup, Also, I've heard. Japan are coming in off the back of a 91-3 loss to Australia, which was not a lot of fun. They were not very good, but they changed the team almost entirely. Like, it's a really heavily changed team. Well, they had um, to because it was four days in between games. Yeah, which is yeah. absurd. Mm. Like, and But then that was the turnaround in a lot of especially yeah. tier two nations at this point, you know, where the tier one teams would get a lot of, they'd get a full week and rest because they wanted to play them on Saturdays and Sundays. Whereas the tier two teams shove them out midweek, you know, give us a little fun bang on a Tuesday night. Jobs but, but very much with that in mind, Japan had, as we covered before, fielded the second team against Australia, 
kind of anticipating they're probably going to get hammered in that game anyway against this Wallabies team. So let's let's go fresh into the Fiji game. And look, the commentators do say during this game, like that's actually kind of paid off, that mm. they still look relatively fresh 60 minutes in. And to say that some of these players are playing their second game in four days, as you say, Claire, that's pretty impressive. It's incredible, especially considering that what did it turn into an 86-minute game? The clock mm. was in the red for such a long time. And the full-time scenes, it's autumn leaves on the pitch. Every single player, has farted out both of their lungs and is just strewn on the pitch in Toulouse. It's a knackering game of rugby and the ball and playtime was amazing. Yeah. None of, no one, no one on that pitch could find touch. No, no. <laughs> no one. This is it. Like the game finishes 31-35. It's an amazing game. It's a great, fantastic game. Unless you love ball retention or kicks out on the full. <laughs> I have never, ever watched a game of rugby where I think such a high percentage of it was played with knock-on advantage. Yes, <laughs> what a good point. And this it's is just... really lame, but I actually counted how many times Fiji copped up the ball in the first half an hour. 14. 14 in half 14 an hour. in half an hour. It's just completely bananas. But that... That's exactly how the whole match was, and Japan were pretty much just as bad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I really, in particular, felt for Seru Rambeni in the mm. centres for Fiji, who dropped the ball five times in the first half. He dropped his like... first four passes to him. Yeah. <sighs> Luckily, the first one he caught, he did go and score. So eventually, you know, he had an equal ratio of drops to points scored. Mm. So I think that's a pretty good, pretty positive outcome. Sarah Rambini, one of the most easily nicknamed players ever. A physically strong, big guy called Rambeni, nicknamed Rambo. Of course. Very right. easily given. It's it's one step above, but only slightly above calling someone called Smith Smithy. <laughs> it's not a million miles away. So yeah, so we look to the Japan team, as you mm. mentioned, mm. they make a lot of, they change almost the entire team. So in comes four at 10, Bryce Robbins. Yes, playing his third favourite position and eventually ends up at Scrum Off where apparently he'd never played before, which is a bit of a nightmare for, for Japan. But as anybody who's listened to our 2011 series will know, we're big fans of Bryce Robbins. He's a very yeah, good player. I mean, I was a fan of him as a centre or fullback. Yes. <laughs> sure of him as a 10. Very good player. Yeah, I didn't say very good 10, but very good player. Japan have a complete halfback crisis in this match. <laughs> Um, and I think that's what's so interesting is arguably he shouldn't have been one of the halfbacks to begin with, bless him, because as you said, he's so much better in the midfield. I was wondering where I'd seen him play lots previously in this World Cup. And of course, it was the opening Japan score against Wales in mm. the other group stage game, because he's the one that throws this absolutely Hail Mary loopy pass over the top to set them off on that amazing length mm. length ball that they manage. But that's very much him in a midfield distributor role. And I think you can see, particularly for the first 30 of this game, that he's not comfortable in a first receiver. Yeah, yeah, he's kind of slightly awkward and things aren't quite working. They do, though, bring in a more natural fly half in Luke Thompson into the second row. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who, I mean, like, look, it, big take on this podcast. I've said many times, I think Luke Thompson might be the most underrated men's player of the last 20 years. I think Ooh. he's outstanding. He is reunited with Hitoshi Ono, his long-term... I suppose it's not reunited. Like, this is quite early in their partnership. Mm. But they go on to play together in three World Cups. 
Yeah. Uh, very almost four World Cups on a retired just before 2019. It's fascinating because probably at 2007, if you look at this, you go, you look at Ono and Thompson and think that's that's probably a pretty bog standard like tier two second row. Mm. Whereas looking back at this 16 years later, I look at that and go, oh, that's one of the best second row partnerships I've ever seen. Yeah, just mm. in their infancy, it's so well balanced. Both such fantastic players for different reasons. Yeah, a pleasure to watch them. Mm. This is yeah, like a young Hitoshi Ono as well. Long before he becomes the kind of veteran firefighter watching like the really figure yeah yeah watching him in the national anthems and seeing him like before he turned 400 yeah was before remarkable. he had his kind of like his baby face he had one of those like great like character actor like craggy faces yes. you know of, like he looks like he should be the guy who gives like a free word inspirational speech at the start of the third act <laughs> who had a goatee molded onto him seemingly. yeah mm, just always a little bit dusty with yes. just yeah. gravitas. Yes, absolutely. So the other change that like stood out to me was they had in the back row a guy called Philip O'Reilly, who I had never heard of. Me neither. I had no idea who this guy was, why a guy called Philip O'Reilly was playing for Japan. So I looked him up and there are two things I came across, neither of which on his Wikipedia page, but if you dig ever so slightly deeper, I'll tell you the more fun one first. So he came into this game with a hip injury that he'd kind of struggled with a bit, ruled him out the first game, and they put him in for this game. He was asked, he did an interview around a press a couple of days before this, where he was asked firstly if he has any superstitions, any big superstitions in the team. And he said, no, I think superstitions are stupid. I don't understand why anyone believes in them. They then asked him, do you think you're going to be able to last 80 minutes with a hip injury? And he goes, yeah, no problem, touch wood. <laughs> that is magic. Do you think he was in any way conscious of what he was doing? And that's the best no. interview joke ever delivered. <laughs> I really don't think so. Oh, what a shame. That's so good. <laughs> I hope they just brought him in as a comic genius on the flank. <laughs> Honestly, the, that's amazing. The less fun side of this, of his mm. story, is the reason he was in Japan in the first place. For he had previously been at Otago, where he was dropped after allegations of a sexual assault. Um, He was sent to Japan, where he then punched a woman in a nightclub about a year before this game. And Japan were just okay with this. They were just all right with this. And it's also, I think there's something very telling about the fact that a club in New Zealand took action against him in 2004, when he, you know, after what he did in the way they haven't done that lately. Um, Mm. when this came out, like they were taking stronger stances back Mm. then than they are now. Also notable that this doesn't come up on his Wikipedia page. This didn't come up in commentary at all. This isn't really mentioned around him at all when there are two separate incidents surrounding him, which I think is, that is telling, but actually it's almost more telling that despite the fact that I think as a society, we're talking about this now, which I think is very important and we're actually being reflected. It feels very telling of New Zealand rugby. that They took stronger action in 2004 than they do nowadays. Yeah, it's it's everybody getting through to them saying, "Oh, bloody woke cancel culture!" Trying to trying to get rid of you know Severis and Shannon Frizzell from our shores and from our team. And actually, before kind of social media and everything existed, they were taking action on this. Mm. It's quite ironic. Incredibly disappointing. I wonder yeah. if. At the time, they felt, and this is not me condoning the actions at all of New Zealand these days, mm. if they felt they could cope without him, if mm. they felt they had enough sufficient depth in that position and they were being 
performance driven and they thought okay well you know what we will be fine we'll get we'll get rid of this Roman gladly see the back of him and that won't affect our performances the mighty mighty all blacks um whereas today things are unfortunately more financially and performance yeah and that's why we see people continuing to get opportunities and that's not exclusive to New Zealand we've seen it in plenty of other rugby unions Mm -hmm. Um, men receiving professional contracts who don't deserve them um, and were still being put front and centre of club campaigns and club media and even being handed armbands when that's actually a deeply deeply disturbing and revealing thing yeah and though possibly those same clubs refusing to comment when asked directly about it, refusing to put that player out for media duties. And when maybe someone who is speaking right now has personally emailed members of that club, doesn't get a response about any of this because it's very, very much brushed under the carpet as all of this continues to be. And thankfully, you know, with the WIU and SIU stuff lately, we've seen bits of this start to emerge. But yeah, it's important this conversation continues to be had. And yes, as, as said, sour as it is. Very, yeah disappointing that it Mm. continued then but the other thing is i reckon if you dig for any of rugby history there's probably it's going to be there regardless all over the place it's just one of those disappointing things and it's one of those because so often if you're a professional rugby player you've exclusively spent your time around men and it kind of i think stunts a lot of players development in that way and that's where you don't see this in women's rugby because generally those players have had lives outside of it and there is this kind of like not to generalize that's very that's yeah, a very big general. I know what you mean, though. Yeah, but there's there's something in. I think I would be very different if I'd only been around men from the age of fifteen. You know, I don't know. Anyway, sorry. This is. I don't mean to get too down, deep down. Well, so I'm just but... into the conversation. There is that we're about to start seeing the maturation of a generation of women who have grown up as professional rugby players. Yeah, mm. and it's going to be very interesting to see what they are like as human beings. And I spent quite a lot of time with a few of them, and so far. They're nothing but impressive, motivated, empathetic and intelligent young women. And I like to think that's what will continue to come yeah. off the RFU conveyor belt. But it will be fascinating to see. Yeah, um, I, there are more parallels to be drawn as the professionalism of the women's game continues. I don't doubt that at all. I don't doubt that will yeah. continue to be the it, case at all. The worst case scenario uh, is better than the best case scenario for the men's game. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Go on. I was going to say that the last kind of person I like to talk about on the Japanese team is on the wing. They bring in Christian Loamanu, who hmm. was a player I remember watching playing for like Treviso and stuff, and then finding out years later that he played for Japan earlier <laughs> in his career. So he ended his career as a number eight, and I think he played a little bit at second row when he went to Harlequins and Benetton at the end of his career. And here he is as a winger and fullback, which is bizarre in itself. What I didn't realize is. The reason why he was kicked out of the Japanese national team is the year after this, he tested positive for marijuana. And that was something he was wow. like regularly doing as a professional rugby player, which is bizarre. Cruise of 2007. He also, to keep to the theme, just before this World Cup, he got into a fight with a female professional wrestler oh, in Jesus Tokyo. Christ. Um, that's a battles. Uh, yeah, that's a... <laughs> I think he just fancied his chances and then was, I was like, oh, I can prove myself here. No idea how the fight went, but he ended up getting banned for a year by Japan and then came back for this World Cup. Hell of a characters in his Japanese to this Japanese. Yes. Yes. As Premiership Rugby would say. Yes. Um, yeah. The Fiji team, as far as yeah. we know, is less problematic, but that's as far as we know. <laughs> yeah. Famous last words in men's rugby. Fiji team on paper Mate. is a lot of fun. Fiji have got a winger called Norman on the bench. Yeah, like Norman a Fijian and Gary. winger called Norman. 
Yeah, That's yeah. That's my new favourite thing. But yes, very fun for G and team. There's a handful of players that we've discussed in past with 2011, the likes of Akapuzi and Guerra, Wama Lerafu, Sunir Koto, and so on. And there's a handful that I've looked at and gone like, oh, right, I've never got the chance to see like Villamoli de la Salle playing kind of in his mm. prime. So that really excited me. And Nicky Little playing kind of closer to the top of his game, I would say, than, you know, when he was approaching his 40s, still pulling on the Fijian shirt. Moses Ralouini captaining Fiji from Scrum Off. It's a really fun team. Yeah, de la Salle, holder of the men's record for most tries in one sevens tournament, scored 16 tries in one tournament <gasps> one weekend. Incredible. which is ridiculous. That is a level of overpowered. He'd just broken that the seventh season before this World Cup where they brought him into the 15s team because he went, yeah, he's all right. He'll do. What's really telling is the fact that with the benefit of hindsight, we can look back at these teams and go, oh, this name, that name, that name, these accolades. But it's very apparent watching the coverage and I imagine to contemporary audiences, this was a minnow or minnow game. Yeah, a pair of completely unheralded teams because this was before the days that Japan became giant slayers and would turn up to every tournament and just take a massive scalp. And it was back in the days when Fiji was a sevens nation who would yeah. get together a few weeks before a tournament and have you know probably one set of jerseys, one week of training camp, and then go to World Cup and do as well as they could. But between them, these two nations had six World Cup wins ever. So I think you can tell very much in the studio coverage and the perhaps lack of research committed to this mm. by the commentators, because there's not much in-depth knowledge of any of these players or the storylines surrounding these teams, that, that this is a game that they really felt you could shove on your telly whilst you cooked your Sunday lunch. It was background <laughs> viewing. It wasn't box office. It was kind of like a, I don't know, like a very pale rosé when actually really this turned out to be a, like a Long Island iced tea of a rugby game. <laughs> really, really undersell it. And it's only yeah. looking back on it that you see all the ingredients with our all along. Yeah. yeah. Is that something you think about when you're going into a commentary? Is like, like, do you approach a commentary knowing it's going out at 4am in during, you know, because in the Zealand time, differently to if you know it's going out on prime time, whatever? I think I didn't because I was hmm. so chuffed to be covering a World Cup. And I like to think that none of the other commentators did the same. But hmm. it definitely, you were aware that there were it was basically your parents watching at that time in the morning. We were watching. Oh, yeah. yeah actually, no, <laughs> I, know that I definitely know that you were experiencing comms throughout that tournament. But yeah, that, that does change things a little bit in terms of broader knowledge and context. But in the moment, you still give it absolutely everything. Because in the moment, yeah. there are still 46 women out in yeah. playing the biggest game of their life. Do you go in thinking, I know it's the hardcore that are up now, so I've got to provide less context than I would mm. if it was, you know, when they're doing the England-France mm. game or the final? Yes, definitely that. So it's a very, very different commentary approach when you're doing Japan against Italy, as I did in mm. the stage match at yeah, 2 a.m. to last weekend when I was doing England at Twickenham in the Six Nations. Mm. Um, you're aware of your audience and what you need to spell out, but ultimately the headline I've been taught is you always think, what's the story today? In a mm. sentence... What is at stake? Why is today different to any other day? And I think so long as you tell that story and then make it an engaging 80 minutes, you've kind of done your job. Say everyone's names correctly. That's very good. <laughs> I was going to say as well, because like, obviously we watched that tournament on No Sleep. And so getting up at 2am 
and then having really energetic and passionate commentators was really handy to kind of keep us awake if nothing else and like obviously the rugby was good enough but like having that pumped into us was I, I'd know I'm speaking on the part mm. of both of us here Robbie mm. but Absolutely. I certainly found that really handy like having that level of energy pumped in and like not just from yourself but from all of the other commentators and presenters on that tournament it was the most passionate group of people and I think we had to be but oh my god it was so hard commentating at that time in the morning I can barely string a sentence together when I wake up at 7am um, and by the time I go to bed I'm normally about 85% unconscious I'm a little bit zombie. <laughs> so finding in that horrible hinterland between the two the ability to be articulate is really hard and actually the second game I did was the only game where I had a full studio around me so oh, wow David Flatman was presenting, did a knockout job because it's the only kind of job Flats ever does. But he threw to me pretty much as we kicked off. Mm. So it's 3am. I've been awake for about 45 minutes. I've literally just shot coffee into my veins in the kitchen at ITV Studios. And then Flats goes, and you're with Topsy O'Jam first, Claire Thomas. And I opened my mouth and my brain just fell out of it. Oh, no. I got it on my phone and it's, it's going to keep me completely grounded for the rest of my career. I just talk garbage because I obviously hadn't woken up. I thought I had done, but I hadn't. And I really needed to warm up into that game. Um, and I didn't get the opportunity to. So yeah, commentating in the middle of the night is really hard. Oh, it's, I could never do your job. I could no. never do it. No, no, no. I, I very, very much envy you. But you say you talk a lot of garbage. Like you will never have trouble filling a half time. That's, <laughs> that's the vibe I get. You know, <laughs> there's massive stuff. positives to that. Yeah, 100%. Not short on conversation. I am um, with my boyfriend, who's a presenter, so you can only imagine mm. how much chat, like how much nonsense chat there is in this. <laughs> Do you throw to each other? All the time. All the time. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Are well, you often both together. in presenter mode, like even like after 6 p.m.? I like to think we're not. Oh, we do we ever do that? No, I don't think we do. He calls me out on it quite a lot. He'll sometimes be like, stop commentating. <laughs> what about when you're like casually watching sport like for fun do you ever find yourself doing it like discussing with each other like in presenter mode we never ever go into presenter mode but I think because we both started in production before we started actually talking Mm. to microphones for a living we are very critical and analytical of stuff and we really dissect coverage the people that are on screen what we make of things and I used to do replays for Sky Rugby and yeah. if I think that they've put out the wrong angle of a replay, it, honestly, it really boils my piss. I really struggle with bad replay angles and live coverage or typos in graphics because when I first started, I did graphics. It doesn't ruin watching sport for you because nothing could ever ruin watching sport for me, apart from being in a pub when you can't hear the commentary. But it does <laughs> make it difficult to watch it and just be really relaxed. I am one of the four people in the world that actively cares about this, but I think secretly everyone does. I get really hung up on the match direction. And so like super sports match Mm -hmm. direction is so much worse than everyone else in rugby's. They often just sit on players standing around doing nothing. And I get like, and you will find like people found the Lions tour, the last Lions tour more boring than other games. And so much of it was because the match direction was poor rather than because Mm -hmm. the rugby was poor. One day I want to do a video on it, but I also think it will be the most boring video I've ever done. And the, <laughs> the irony. Yeah. That's so nice. it's a very difficult thing to, to talk about. But like, I know I think about it constantly and get caught up in like, they should have cut here. They should put a replay in here. They've got time here. Or, you mm. know, they're, why are we looking at this one player? Show us four players. Show us another guy. It's, it's, I know what you're saying about the very small minutiae that you get caught up in sometimes. Well, then in the same vein, I'm always listening to commentators and 
figuring out how I feel about them. I bet you two can't watch a rugby match anymore without analysing it constantly. There is a to bit some of degree, yeah. Yeah. I think that we both know how to switch off kind of analysis mode, but I think it's always ticking away in the back of your brain. Like a try is scored right. and then you go, oh, this happens and you kind of have to point it out. And I enjoy it. I enjoy the game more for it, I think. I would rather, if I am engaged and actively watching the game rather than just being on in the background, I like to be switched on and actually focusing on it. Mm. Um, I find it actually helps kind of going like, oh, so what's going on here? Or oh, is there anything I can learn from this? Because, you know, you're always trying to pick stuff up and stay ahead of the curve. I remember having a conversation about this with Murray Kinsella once, who was like, he goes back on the Monday morning and watches every game from the Japanese league back because he wants to keep on top of any trends and so on. Wow. And like, I'm not as bad as that. I'm not, I'm not as good as that. I'm not as, you know. I don't know how he has it all there. Yeah, it's amazing. And he'll just go back and watch everything in order to stay on top of analysis stuff. I'm far more kind of casual than that, but you do pick mm. up on things gradually and you kind of go, oh, that's, you know, this game itself is kind of dry or there's not much to talk about, but there's one really interesting thing just happened, you know, or that kick was interesting or that, you know, that setup there was interesting. And you kind of, pick up on it and work on it and go like, oh, yeah, like build a narrative around it in your head in a way. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm, especially in a World Cup, yeah, I'm trying to write as much in advance in my head as I can to kind of save on time. Well, Um, different ways to say turnover. You've not got long, you've got seven months. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. I'm keeping that list going. The Jonathan Sexton list, which is 800 pages long at this point. And then, yeah, keep the turnover list going. Keep just different (laughs) names for DuPont. Just say, behave, Anthony Watson is already taken, so you can't have that one. (laughs) Yeah. Do you know the musician's self-esteem? I am I'm seeing her on Friday. (laughs) Oh, you're going to have the best time. Have you seen her live before? No, I've not. She's phenomenal absolutely phenomenal but one thing she does is she posts on instagram little screenshots of the notes section on her phone where she's always writing down lyric ideas and they are always the most nuanced brilliant brilliant turns of phrases and she's so creative she's absolutely an extraordinary mind i've started writing down little commentary ideas mm. that i have in my notes section and one day i'll do a fake self-esteem post and i'll just post a carousel and no one will like it because that's shit content but <laughs> i have got one at the moment that i wrote just this morning which purely says arabola mckenzie nice. very good how has I'm no one nice. put it yet? I'm so pissed off that we've not thought of that. I know. <laughs> you haven't done an Arabella McKenzie Harlequin's Playmaking Access video yet, but... No, we need to <laughs> get on do. that. Yeah. need to. We can collab on that. We can get that. Yeah, one. yeah. We'll have to give you some commission for that. But yeah. we'll work on this later on. For sure. Yeah, we'll, for sure. We'll, we'll sort this afterwards. We'll sort this afterwards. <laughs> I do want to mention the, the commentator on this game is called Rupert McCall, which a commentator called Rupert McCall is like having a pundit called Prediction Cliche. Like, it's an <laughs> outstanding name for a commentator. Such good nominative determinism. I love yeah. that. I noticed. So he comes on, bloody Rupert comes on, does his report, and we finally kick off the game because we should probably get onto it. I think this game benefits enormously from being in Toulouse. I think yes. there's no way Fiji <laughs> v Japan in Toulouse was going to be a bad game. Let's face it, Ontomac and DuPont were in the crowd for this. <laughs> there's no way they weren't as kids. I bet they were, of course. I mean, it really says something about the opening part of this match that the second note I wrote down was brass band in stadium, really exceptional. <laughs> and yes. the atmosphere is absolutely brilliant mm. and the japanese fan turnouts mm. these days where we would be unsurprised by it but i think for 2007 it's really quite remarkable yeah it's amazing to have traveled so far and there's 
a lot of white shirts out there, but I think there's also just a lot of people in work shirts. <laughs> so it was a 6 p.m. local time kickoff. And I don't know if a lot of people just knocked off and just headed off to go and watch the rugby, which is a great way to spend an evening, you know, having yeah, finished you know. work, joining, coming and seeing this. It's amazing. And yeah, because like things kick off in a really ramshackle way. That- it's bizarre, mm. isn't it? I love that no one can catch a kickoff in this game because it means everyone's always on the offensive. Constantly. It was at, like such, such a theme of this year's Six Nations has been restarts mm. and mm-hmm. the inability of very good teams to complete, you know, just to deal with them in any way. Um, yeah. And very, it was a real kind of throwback to that watching this game because I, you're right, I don't think there's a single restart that goes according to plan. People are missing parts constantly and little tiny essential parts of the game are going all over the place for both of these sides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love that Fiji win their first kickoff and immediately all they do is play wide. Like on yeah. literally every single breakdown, they're like, right, okay, let's get it to this winger. Oh, this winger's not touched it in like 45 seconds. We need to get it back in the hands. We're going to be annoyed. There's you know? a moment where there is nobody on the blind side, which is about 15 minutes and two Fijians, and they still go wide in the opposite direction. <laughs> <laughs> Must go wide. It really reeked of an opening game of a tournament from the Yes. yes. Big time, yeah. big time. It's like, this is how we play. We need to make sure the world knows about mm. it. <laughs> I also just noted down, like, because Nicky Little scores a, pen, a penalty early on, I have it written down as Little Pen from 45. And it just sounds like, you know, a tiny thing you write with. <laughs> I had a moment of kind of thinking, what do I mean, Little Pen on the pitch? Like One of those ones from Argos, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> had to get his order in. So Luke Thompson does a dummy kick early on, which is just a favourite moment I want to mention. Yes. Nothing to say about it. But again, if I'm just going to continue my constant Luke Thompson praise train, which builds in the second half, but his little dummy kick, outstanding. Yeah, yeah. It's his first first appearance at 10. Yes. <laughs> and it's this like constant, it's almost quite hard to talk about the first sort of 20 minutes because it is constantly teams making ground, they're dropping the ball or losing it at the breakdown. The tur- turnover, I can't think of any jokes on the word turnover, but it's a constant problem the whole way through. Well, no, I say problem. It's very entertaining to watch. Yes. Mm, so the- quality, high entertainment. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Because, like, even the-, the first half is much kind of slower scoreboard-wise than, you know, the final score makes it look. Uh, 35 minutes, it's 3-5, fi- no, 6-3. And it I'm thinking, like 35 finishes, all. yeah. I, I thought I was watching the wrong game at one point. Yeah. <laughs> when you said, let's talk about this high scoring, crazy Japan Fiji game. And I thought, great, went back and found it and genuinely got to about 25 minutes in. I thought, I'm watching the wrong game. I don't know how, but I'm watching the wrong match because no one looks capable of scoring anything. Yeah. It's and it's both teams are kind of making and losing those kind of 20 minutes, 20 meters either side of half time over and over again. As I said, couldn't be a commentator, can't tell the difference between meters and minutes. But uh, yeah, they're just constantly going back and forth and kind of nothing sticking. And there aren't really outstanding moments. It all looks pretty standard. Like I think I really intrigued by how modern a lot of Fiji's attack looked in terms of the way they spread out in several units and kind of have linked players between them, which feels very kind of precursor to one three three one and boots yeah. and everything. The way that they would deliberately match Ungera against smaller men to, to mm. tackle him, uh, it's because he would bust tackles and at most, you know, make sort of that extra kind of 10 yards every time he did kind of carry the ball. This first half is the least notes I have on any half we've done in this 2007 tournament. But the main moment is there's a point where I... Watching this, I said, hello, out loud, 
when Ungera got the ball and made this insanely powerful break where he just looks at two small Japanese men in front of him and he essentially lets go of the ball so he can fend them both off and let it just levitate <laughs> in front of him for a little bit and just swats them aside. It's one of many moments where Ungera really shows that he's not only the biggest but one of the most skillful players on the pitch. Oh, he's completely ridiculous. I mean, we'll get on in a minute to the the moment he has in his first mm. half, but the job he's doing at the breakdown as well as every time he gets the ball in his hands is absurd. Like I have written in all caps in a moment in my note. And this is like wrote physically with a pen. I didn't just press caps lock. Like Gloucester (laughs) had better have paid him a billion dollars for this. Like he signs for Gloucester right after this world cup and they better have given him all of the money in the world (laughs) to go and play for them. I should hope so. Just a prototype rugby player, isn't he? Like Theo McFarlane's maybe the equivalent now, somebody who's just mm-hmm. made in a lab because he's enormous, he's fast, he's dynamic, he plays in such a heads up way, but without any of the panic that his teammates are constantly yeah. producing. It's actually, I very few of the Fijian errors have anything to do with him. And I feel like he must have been actually quite frustrated in his opening 20 because every time he's involved, it's a positive involvement. Yeah. He's so much, as you said, at the breakdown all over the park, line out wise, he's everywhere and doing everything brilliantly. And I mean, what, what's that thing? If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs. And Gera's who that poem is written about in this instance. Yes, that's the scrum cap, just keeping it tied on tight, <laughs> just like latched onto his neck. Like, yeah, so he signs for Gloucester after this World Cup, scores on his debut against Bourgois, and then goes on a few weeks later to score a hat-trick against Leeds, ends up coming second to Ollie Barkley, for player of the season, premiership player of the season, like really hits the ground running after this. Dean Ryan, who was then Gloucester coach, described him as world-class. Late review. Yeah. And you know what? This, you absolute, like, if you're a club looking for a seven, looking for a player to bring in for the following season, and you see this, you are almost crying with delight. <laughs> you have tears wiping down the check you're currently writing. <laughs> No, absolutely. I, I think you've teased it there, the moment he has in a minute. Akabuzi Ngera scores, what What a bloody try! Japan have a scrum on the Fijian 22, and you think, okay, this should be interesting, see if they can build a few phases, see what happens from here. And next thing you know, Ngera just somehow pinched the ball, and is 50 metres downfield, outpacing people who are like, playing in the back line. It's unbelievable! It's ludicrous. It's on. It's a moment of sheer individual brilliance. And you know what it reminded me of is those videos that they make about once a year where they'll take a pair of Premier League footballers and make them play against 36-year-olds. Yes. <laughs> All of a sudden, Nguera has just got the ball in one giant paw and he sets off and that's it. And you wonder why the Japanese players even bothered trying to stop him. The most inevitable score you will ever see, but that doesn't detract from how devilishly difficult and well done it is. It's yeah. amazing. The kind of one pass bounces on the floor and him scooping it up, which is something that only looks impressive on the close angle kind of replay because you just take it for granted on the live angle. The, the sheer acceleration, because mm. it's entirely backs he's against. Yeah. And he outpaces all where... of them. He's, he first off like outpaces Robbins and you think, oh, okay, this will be interesting when the fullback and wingers come into shot. And then the camera angle gets wider and you realise there's no one in front of him and it's <laughs> a straight sprint for the line. And you just, you can't help but cheer for him. Yeah, you realise, oh, it's a Fijian. Right, okay, yes, he's going to be fine. Yes. His knee drive is just exceptional. It's a really it's amazing thing to yeah. love, but the power of him 
is brilliant. And he just gobbles up the ground. Absolutely gobbles it up. You can't help but kind of shout and scream. Like the only person not shouting and screaming was Dean Ryan, who was Googling Akabusi Ungera agent. (laughs) (laughs) I think I've written this down. The commentator calls him an excitement machine. (laughs) That'll do it. He yeah. absolutely is a hundred percent, and I would categorise him with other excitement machines, including like Damian McKenzie, Meg Jones, yes. uh, Tim Russell. Just, but there aren't that many forwards I would put in that mm. category. Like Matter maybe for the Army Matter, someone mm. who is just the genes are different, aren't they? Yeah, they're all box office. They're all just so so bonkers to watch. But yeah, that I just think I liked Excitement Machine. Yes. Crank Absolutely. the handle and watch the sparks fly. <laughs> also, Sarah Byrne, borderline. Yeah, for a front, a front row. rower excitement machine. Yes, 100%. Another one that uh, excitement machine I picked up on this game, I'd never heard of him, but on the left wing for Fiji, I saw a Naivua mm. who was mm. just excellent. Like, he could bust tackles. He was rapid over like 10 metres. He would just immediately skin people in the smallest of spaces and the whole time he was always just carrying the ball like in his not even in his palm like in his wrist um he would just have the ball and he'd always just be able to flick it and he was just impossibly exciting yeah he was fantastic he was like quintessential fijian winger yes yeah exactly that like only one eight caps kind of burst into life this oh, wow. year ended up playing for viadana off the back of this and kind of fell out of the reckoning for fiji somewhere but like, what a way to burn bright during your chance! Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. And look, half the offload he threw ended up either going forward or knocked on or whatever. But you just kind of thought, oh, it's worth throwing them because you're playing with players who are capable of like freakish pickups and mm. you know freakish support lines and so on. And so, like, I mean, this game is so incredibly loose by both teams, obviously, as we've as we've kind of touched upon. And there's a part of me that was like if the teams just keep this ball for four phases, they're going to score rather than just doing something mad. But I wasn't mad at them for trying these insane things. And I was like, no, I'm enjoying this so much, even though the teams are dropping it half the time. Because you don't know, I suppose, when the score is going to happen. We Mm. we might have all watched this game knowing there were going to be scores, but it did feel like at any given moment in amongst this completely frenetic blue smarties energy ball of a rugby match, there there could be a score. As we'll talk about when we look at the next Fijian score, when it clicks, you think, oh, well, of, of course they're always trying this. Of course they're always playing with such fearless ambition because when things stick, it's unstoppable. This was just a moment where actually it was just one person doing it all by themselves. But again, you saw the, the raw power and talent within these units. Yeah. Well, that's it. So Onishi kicks a penalty to bring it to 9-10 at halftime, which feels weird. You're kind of going, what's going to happen in the second half? Mm. Like, how is this going to end up 31-35? And the moment it gets going, you're like, something is looser, something is wider. We end up with Delisau in the bin right at the end of that half. And yeah. I think that changes things enormously. Japan attack far more they kick quite a lot in that first half which i think was probably a good approach for them yes trying to contain this virgin team yeah. i thought it was tactically quite a smart decision but as a neutral i was very glad that they started running as much ball as they did the yes, moment dallas was in the bin yeah and they suddenly just yeah. sending all of their runs at all it's... every back in the team at his wing it's fascinating because normally I'd go, oh, what do you think the coach has said at half time? But instead, I'm going to rephrase that question and say, how many bottles of champagne do you think they popped at half time? <laughs> <laughs> Several. All of them. All of the champagne in Toulouse. 
Yeah, that's a lot. And there's a lot of it. There's a lot of it going around. Other than the one bottle that Antoine Dupont has stolen from somewhere and is now drinking with Roman Untermack in the crowd. That's the one. That's the one that they've not got. Otherwise, (laughs) all of the champagne is So I'd never thought about this. It's so much easier to imagine Antoine Dupont underage drinking than Roman Untermack. (laughs) <laughs> it really is. Yeah, definitely. I get quite strong like cider in the park vibes with Dupont. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Whereas Untermac, I just can't see it. You know, bit of wine at a wedding, maybe. But no, I, yeah. I reckon wine uh, Mac, age fourteen, would have been able to like sip on some port and he'd just be absolutely fine, stony faced afterwards. Like no, a meal and utter heavyweight. Yeah. A meal was definitely uh better they do it in the home type of dad. Yes. <laughs> so true whiskey after dinner he's seven Shh. <laughs> you can handle he's it it's done. fine yeah. and he still had that glorious haircut at seven honestly danny care on comms when we did italy france a couple of weeks ago was just so smitten with intermac and he's been on the scene for a while now this kid mm. we will be immune to his physical charms but no um danny was just absolutely gushing he's loving it absolutely yeah. loving it. Who Which is also him? saying something, considering Danny Kerr spends a lot of time with Marcus Smith, who is arguably an even finer head of her. Oh, that's a big call. That's but a big call. I think it's the two of them in terms of the fly halves with the finest kept hair in international rugby. Will you I'm... leave Duncan Weir out of this? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not. It's not Finn. It's not Richie. It's no. not. No one knows who. I mean, certainly not Andre. I can't think of any better fly half heads of her. It's those two. That's the final. That's if the World Cup is decided on fly halves with nice hair, then it's probably those two. It's Untermac though. Untermac is walking. Untermac is taking. It. I'm, I'm sorry. I think, I'm standing. I think on Smith this. is a very good second place. I'm going to have to go and think about that. Is that all right? It's really That's, yeah, absolutely. Now that Yume Foster with his dreadlocks has retired, I think oh, it is a two hey. two horse race, and we're all desperately missing Yume Foster. <laughs> <laughs> so we things really start to open up as I mentioned in that half. And then Fiji go, wait a second, are you open? Do you want to be more open as well? Because yeah, both teams yeah, get pissed at half time. Yeah, yeah, that's what happens. And that really stresses out the commentators. And I found that fascinating because they keep saying, oh, Japan have to be careful. They mustn't get drawn into the Fijian style of play. And now fast forward however, 15, 16 years. And Japan frequently look to draw players into a Japanese style of play. And that's the way that they, mm-hmm. that opposition find themselves unstuck when they really shouldn't. Such a good point. I wonder if this was the, the dawn of Japan becoming a banana skin and realising that the way they can do it is by sucking teams into a method of play that doesn't suit their selection and their patterns. Yeah, yeah. And it is very, it's something we talked about in the 1987 series, that there's a very clear line of progression. Like when you look at how they played in 1987, you can see how they eventually end up at where they are in 2015. Like yeah. you can see kind of like the starting of DNA. That obviously takes a long time to cement. It's based around a... handling and kind of rehearsed moves and stuff is kind of like the way it goes. And obviously that, you modernize all of that and you get the, the Japan team of now. Mm. And you can see that again here. You can see that really starting to click, especially in that second half. Mm. And for what it's worth, the women, the Sakura 15, play a very similar way. They have taken the way that the men play. And, well, it's a carbon copy. It's exactly that. And it's exactly how we start to see Japan play in the second half. With an almighty tiny scrum half as well, which Japan have an endless production line of. I love it. The Arbe and Ottica halfback pairing is one of the most fun in world rugby. And if you don't know them, get to know them. They're wild, <laughs> wild. 
And I just very quickly um, derail us to just give a shout Please. out to Japan's tight head. Mm. Um, Kamikazu Soma plays his entire part in this match wearing fingerless gloves. Oh, yes. Which I love because at exactly the same time across the world, no, in the same part of the world, Avril Lavigne was also probably wearing <laughs> fingerless gloves in 2007. <laughs> But I just really love that. And it was, it was, you don't see gloves anymore on a rugby pitch. Um, and no. I did that immensely every time there was a scrum. And of which, considering how many knock-ons there were, there weren't that many. <laughs> <laughs> do you think, do you think Simon Webster sold Avril Lavigne gloves as well? I think it's possible. I think yeah. she was inspired by Soma, the, the, the tight head prop. I oh, heard that, that way around, not that he was yeah, a diehard yeah. Avril <laughs> I yeah, know. I yeah. think it was pretty mutual. I think they met up pretty regularly. Maybe Soma was the skater boy. <gasps> he said, he said see, you see you later, later boy. Got to go play against Fiji in yeah. a bit. He wasn't good enough for her. Uh, uh, that's a very harsh lyric. Oh, man. It's, but it's, it's true, though, you know? He did have a pretty face. It's up in space. Oh, man. Yeah. We've Five years it. from now, she sits at home feeding the baby she's all alone she turns on tv guess who she sees playing against fiji on tv that is that is the lyric that is the lyric 10 tv yeah (laughs) oh my god and all of her friends already know and they've all got tickets because they're in toulouse watching the rugby yeah i completely forgot that the b-side to that song is actually called bundaberg halftime rap uh, and the lyrics are www.ytuneplasma.com.au. I completely forgot about that that period of Avril Lavigne's career. Hey, hey, you, you, I don't like your tight head. This is all, get- <laughs> this is all getting a bit too complicated for me. It's no, I'm in my element. I don't know how large the section of the Venn diagram is of people that listen to the Squid Rugby Retrospective podcast and also have an intimate knowledge of Avril Lavigne lyrics. Oh, I've been desperate to grow the girls aloud section of the audience anyway. So we're just branching out slightly more <laughs> here now. That it's... was my love shout out. I just had to make sure I got it away. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Encourage. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact. You can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So, yeah, this second half, are we... Are we- should we do the second half or? It's good, isn't it? It's bloody good, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's bloody good. Angera uh, again? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. He scores again, doesn't he? With a completely classy, effortless support line, a kind of Dan Robson, Chris Ashton, intelligent running line, which he actually has really no right to pick out. I suppose that's a sevens background. But mm. how often? How often do you see flankers popping up with that pace in that position and having been involved multiple times down the pitch? 
Yeah. yeah. It's such a good point because Raulini makes that break from, I think it's from the back of a scrum where he just kind of slivers through and no one can really get to him until he gets to the fullback. And you can tell Ungera is running with the intention of getting to, because Raulini throws a miss pass to Naivura on the wing. And Ungera has that in mind. He's anticipated that with his support line. And you're right, like the fact that he just cuts out trying to draw one man in and just goes straight in for this is going to be the scoring line. This is going to be the winning line. It's just fantastic. And Naivura threw a lot of offloads in hope, but this one is on the money. Yes. And Ungera has run such a good line, I think partly anticipating what he's going to do, where it's going. <laughs> if you throw enough glitter at a wall, some of it will stick. <laughs> <laughs> and it is glitter. It is very much glittering. Yeah. No, it's fantastic. And the fact that they've had two moments of Ungera standing up is ultimately the reason why they're in the lead. It's mm. very telling of how the game's going. It's very deserving of the scoreboard to reflect that, you know? It feels to me a lot like those scores settle Fiji. That's... Yeah. The, the yips, the jitters, the pre-tournament nerves dissipate in a moment because they're up on the scoreboard and they've, they've done some Fiji and it's worked, which is why it's been so exciting when over to you, Robbie, Japan, have a go. Yes. So they regather the ball from the kickoff because of course they do. That's just what's happening. <laughs> and it's almost a moment of, because there's just been a score, kind of you stop to finish making your notes on the previous try, at which point you look up and Luke Thompson has got the ball at first receiver. And I'll tell you what, it took me a second to go back and rewind and check it was Luke Thompson because I thought it was Barry John. I thought it was <laughs> like an absolutely vintage moment of one of the, like Bowden Barrett at his best being dropped against a classic defence. This was unbelievable coming from a second row rather than a world-class pacey 10. Genuine 10s try, that is. Like, mm. if somebody with great hair, such as Roman Untermack or Marcus Smith, scored that, you would go, oh, that's world-class. Mm. And to Weir, see Duncan Weir. Oh, Duncan Weir, sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Um, firstly, like the fact that he's he communicates, gets everyone organised outside him to distract that Fijian defence, catches the ball, does the dummy, does the step inside, has all options on, and the pace to go and finish it, it just feels like it foreshadows the rest of his career. Because by 2019, they built so much around him being a fly half option mm. from the second row. And it was revolutionary. And 12 years in advance, seeing him do this and go, oh, no, he always, he was always capable of doing this. It just took a coach in Eddie Jones and Jamie Joseph to point this out and go, no, let's build on that. As ridiculous as it sounds. It's just incredible. It's the thing I always said about Luke Thompson is he updates his game to whatever you wanted from a second row at that point, And yeah. he evolved so much as a player. And yet you're seeing the complete skill set of He's someone who's of able curve. to do that here yeah. in mm. someone that can pick that line, that has that pace, has that kind of identification of when to go, how to throw the dummy. It's remarkable. It's a really great moment of us just showcasing everything he can do well ahead of coaches working that out as well, as you say. Absolutely. Yeah. And it just doesn't let up from here. Like, <laughs> so Thompson scores, Japan nail a conversion, and they're suddenly back ahead. And then Fiji go, should we just do that again? You know that thing we did where we offloaded the bunch and scored? <laughs> As you should say, Claire, they Fiji. That's yeah. what they do. They just Fiji. They put a Fiji. They hit the big black and white Fiji button. <laughs> <laughs> It's just there was a proper sense for me as well that as that as Japan finally got themselves on the scoreboard with something meaningful, I just thought, here we bloody go. All right, this this is the game that I was sold. This is the try fest. And yeah, you're right. It's it's so so thick and fast. It's brilliant from this point onwards. It's amazing. It's that kind of like, I mean, yeah, it's just a succession of really classy offloads. There's a little mm. like step in the middle, and then eventually, you know, it's kind of 
It's one of those when they show the replay, you're like, oh, was it only three offloads? I thought there was about eight <laughs> or nine. <laughs> it's also, I feel like, Robbie, you would, you'd script it as something like, twizzly magicy sorcery you'd have a lot of fun describing the passage of play here because it is it's mesmeric but it's also completely bamboozling yeah i you would can't take your eyes off it but you can't process what you're seeing it is um, twizzly magicy sorcery though like that, <laughs> that just is that just is what it is this is this is why you are who you are claire because that <laughs> would take me three drafts to write I don't know about you, Robbie. Have you just spent the last hour and a half realizing that Claire would be better at both of our jobs than yes. of us? Oh, yeah. I didn't need this this hour to realize that. Um... <laughs> Gloricly not. And if I, if you know what big fans I am of the channel, I often watch it in awe, thinking, "Oh man, I wish I could do that." They, they, you're both so. There are two halves, aren't there? There are two options. <laughs> oh no! Here it comes. The phrase. You there. Human beings, in theory, are meant to have a left side or a right side of their brain that's more active, and one side makes you analytical and scientific, and someone who's more mechanically minded and looks into logistics in a way that things tangibly are. The other side is the side of the artist, and your videos combine the two in this like wonderful hodgepodge of both creativity and hardcore nerdisms, and it meets in the middle, and it's just, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Well, thank you. That's incredibly kind You've- and too articulately put um, say, you found the clause in my contract that says i will accept a compliment as long as the word hodgepodge is in there somewhere <laughs> so i have no comebacks hodgepodge is the kind of word i get a gentle slap on the wrist for sometimes after oh i love it i'm here for it mm. never stop saying hodgepodge what if you're talking about reese hodge ah no you can say hodgepodge if it's reese hodge because yeah. that's only half of hodgepodge especially if he puts on weight and he becomes Reese Hodgepodge. I saw him in the flesh for the first time in November and you mm. could not pinch an inch on him. You know, there's videos of cats getting underneath gaps in doors that you never think a cat should get through. Reese Hodge would out gap any of them. He's so slender. Wow. That's very because he looks so he looks solid, like big on TV. Yeah. Yeah. I find that really fascinating, actually. Just sorry, another another mm. deviation. You told me I could go off on tangents. Absolutely. So many rugby players are physically different when you see them in the flesh yeah. they are on TV. And sometimes that is aura. And the most mm. I've ever been struck by that, and this is a really obvious cliched example, but it was Kieran Reid. Ah. He has such a presence about him. I re- I felt him approach to walk past me before I saw him. And I turned around and I just had this moment of, wow, that's Kieran Reid. And he's he's absolutely massive. Mm. But he's also, I felt that he was both totemic and talismanic. Mm. He had a big vibe and a big frame. And I always find it fascinating which rugby players are and aren't different sizes. I found, Sarah Hunter, I found, has that. Absolutely. Yes. Like the entire room turns. Tell you what, no, though I have never come across anyone in my life with more presence than Sarah Elgin. Interesting. Everyone is constantly glancing over and be like, "It's bloody Sarah Elgin." Maybe just because her hair's so big, but it's just like she's she's amazing, and Mm. she's just got. She will out like I was once in. I don't mean this to be incredibly name droppy, but like a room (laughs) that had like Brian Habana and Ugo Monia, like you know their full lineup. Here we go again. And Sarah (laughs) Sarah Elgin is the person in that room with the most presence. That's so interesting. Uh, You know what? I think I've always just found her so welcoming and friendly. That Mm. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She comes across so well. My favorite thing about Sarah is she is pretty peerless at what she does mm. she's oh, yeah. exceptional her knowledge yeah. is encyclopedic but she's also so relatable and adorable and she's unashamedly feminine 
Yeah. Yes. That is really quite unusual. And I think the way she balances all of those different parts of her person is just brilliant. And it's why for me, she's just one of the best broadcasters in the world. But then is also one of the best people in a, in a mile radius in that moment at her job. At yeah. Her yeah. Job. Oh, there and is um, no one in the world better at getting good punditry out of people like monosyllabic. If you get a current player in who hasn't done it before and isn't an expert, there is no one in the world better at getting good answers yeah. out of them. Because of, firstly, her understanding of the game and yeah. like knowing, you know, she's done this enough times and it has such a like thorough knowledge. She knows what the viewers at home will, what not not just want to hear, but what will be insightful to them. And also like nobody, as you've kind of both touched on, can command the energy of a room quite like she can. Mm. If a game is really fun and flowing, exciting, she will bring that energy to half time and full time and so on. If a game's ferocious, then she will bring that. And it's just incredible to watch. So we've done Sarah, we've done the Knicks, we've done <laughs> Miles Harrison, we've done Jamie Lyle. Which Who do we praise next? Who do we pick out next? What about we talk about ooh, Saru Rambaini for Fiji in 2007? I was like, who's next to school? Who's next to school? We'll cover all the rest of the broadcasters. We'll knock them all off. I'm sure we will. <laughs> yeah, no, sorry. We should, we, should, we should crack along. We've been going a while. I have this down in my notes as in block capitals, Rambaini catches a pass, brackets and scores. Um, <laughs> as you've said, like with all the offloading in it, just what just a fantastic try to watch it is with Ratuvu, the fullback, coming into the line and doing that beautiful backdoor flick on the inside to, uh, is it De La Salle gets the ball? Mm. Fresh out of the Simbin and raring to go and again lifts this beautiful offload for Rambeni. And I had a moment where I saw it was 13 on the back and I thought, I really hope he doesn't drop this one. And he didn't, he didn't, he went the whole way and I was very pleased for him. And with time to waggle a finger on his way over, which is always <laughs> risky, but very cool. That's and the key. It was at this moment that I actually realised that the stadium was back invested in this game because there was a part in that incredibly fractured opening 40 when there were loads of Mexican waves going around the stadium, which, as we all know, is a sign that a game is dying a death. But by mm. this point, they're all on their feet heavily invested little teenage Antoine Dupont and Roman there's several bottles of champagne deep by this point but they are really everyone is living and breathing this game by this point and I think that really lifted the watch as well yeah absolutely and it only builds from here on out like the atmosphere gets better and better as that kind of last 25 minutes goes on to the point that by the end it's complete I mean the phrase is fever pitch but they did the pitch is a fever and it is spread all around contagiously not unlike the novel coronavirus why am I talking what so Japan run my favorite moment of the game which is the Fiji kick it long and Aruga, the fullback, recovers it. And Japan run this completely pointless switch 20 metres away from any Fijians, at which point Lohamani just sprints into his own man and bumps him. <laughs> I've also got this written down. It is so funny. I actually, I rewound and watched a couple of moments of this match, mostly scores, but this moment I think got the most rewatches. It's so good. It's teammates get off. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. It's genuinely one of my favourite moments of the game. Him just like bumping Yatomi in the way, just like knocking him over as though he's going for a full on, like, as you said, Kieran Reed type bump off. It's an outstanding moment of rugby, just happens to be against his own team. And they, do, they, they do the switch 20 meters behind, like away from any Fijians. They've got so much time to see what's going to come. The only person. Well, the Fijians see it coming. It's, it's Japan. Yeah. <laughs> 
So good, they fooled themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Japan score a try from a mole, which was unexpected, I think, from the way this game was going. That was another another contribution to the scoreboard, which was pretty cool. Great I think moment where Lucid Nishuria crowd sound cuts out as the commentators awarding it. Yes, weirdly, really adds to it. Odd thing of like sound design. It's like the bit in the Star Wars movie where the sound cuts out completely, and it's far more impactful than if they'd had big sound playing under it. Mm. It's sort of inc- it really works. There being no sound under the commentators shouting about the try. Oh yeah, taking all the audio out of an edit was an apps. I would save it for big moments, but that mm. one I used to produce openers and promos and stuff for Sky. Yeah, yeah. Silence is a lot more powerful than noise sometimes. Mm. Definitely. I have also written... said the same thing. Great minds. <laughs> I've got in my notes there's a dot 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 rolling mall, and then there's four question marks in my notes <laughs> because it was so unexpected. I didn't think I thought we'd see lots of tries <laughs> forwards because of the absolute ball of forwards that we've got on the pitch, mm. but I didn't think yes. we would see. A rolling mall. And also, I can't remember who it was, but I remember noting that the line-out take was beautiful and one-handed. Balletic. So a precursor to some of the takes that we see these days, which I swear are getting more and more athletic. Yeah, and more and more common. We're just mm. sort of now seeing those happening. and going like, oh yeah, that's a thing that happened. Yeah, sure. Rather than, whoa, let's clip that up and put that on Twitter. <laughs> so I think so shaken by the mall try, by Japan going, wait a second, we've got forwards. Should we use them? Yeah. Fiji have Fiji go back to that opening quarter and start overplaying when things are on. Seremiah Bai does a great, beautiful pass to the touch judge <laughs> when he thinks they've got two man overlap and goes for the miss pass. When no, it was only one man over. Yeah, there's a few moments of that, and I feel like Fiji realise they can start forcing things a little bit more because Japan. We touched on this earlier. So Japan subbed on Yuki Atomi at night, and I thought, yeah, we get to watch Yuki Atomi again. What a guy. And then like five minutes later, he goes off injured. And yeah, yeah so then they have it where Bryce Robbins has to step into nine, a position where which is quite a few away from his preferred one, I think it's safe to say. And immediately, his first touch there, he goes for a dive pass, which falls short, and you think this is going to be... It's mm-hmm. ominous, isn't it? And he tries a couple of box kicks, which don't quite go to oh, plan. One goes out in the first... fall. Yeah, he tries to box kick off a scrum in his own 22 under enormous pressure on a short side when it's not on. And yeah, barely gets it away. Kind of gives the ball. It almost goes backwards, that one. I know exactly yeah. what you mean in the bottom hand corner of the screen. And yeah. it, it comes drifting back towards him. Yeah. And then, oh, bless him, the number of bounce passes he throws. Yeah. You just feel for him because, like, there is no way they will have had to prepare for that. Mm. Losing, you know, because the likelihood of Yatomi getting injured inside 20 minutes he was maybe going to play is obviously quite small. And they weren't mm. allowed to sub the scrum off Yoshida back on at this point. And, yeah, you feel for him. Good on him for stepping up, obviously. Yeah. Because I imagine that there will have not been a long queue of players going, yeah, I'll play scrum off for this last 20 minutes. But as at Fiji knew they would win the ball back from mm-hmm. these errors that were increasingly counting up and i think because he was so up and down in that first 60 minutes Mm. where he had some really good moments like i thought he kicked well in the first half but he had like there was one attack where japan were almost nailed on for a try and instead he crabs sideways a bit goes himself and knocks it on yes and there are a few big errors there are a few big moments where he threw poor passes and so on so it wasn't like he was high on confidence or even just like i've had a workman like solid game well like an actual very got that out of the hands like half a second quicker yeah, he was yeah. like, I've had a very up and down game where there's been good and there's been bad. Yes. And now I'm having to play a position I'm really not used to. Yeah, bless. 
Lockett was against Fiji because of all the defences that they will have come up against in that competition. At least Fiji were the least likely to pressurise those box kicks or to really fly up in his face. Yeah. Mm. So he probably, you know, imagine if he'd been playing against the box at nine. In yes. That yeah, yeah, yeah. Show. So relatively speaking, he got away scot-free. <laughs> yes. All given, yeah. They score another one in a minute where it's Ravu in the second mm. row drives over and it's one of those weird things where Fiji as we said earlier keep playing like wide to wide to wide to wide to wide and then Japan are just so out on their feet and also just spread so thinly that they go wide to wide to wide to wide to wide to wide then pick and go and score and they do that in such like quick period of time that Japan aren't kind of set for that because they're so exhausted having to cover all of this ground mm. It's brilliant. It's the first, it genuinely seems to be the first time that it occurs to Fiji that, like you said, Japan were like, oh yeah, we've got forwards. Fiji were like, oh yeah, like we've we've used up lots and lots of pixie dust. Maybe it's time to go and get the bulldozer. And it works. Lo and behold, changing things up is actually a viable game plan. You don't have to keep banging your head on the same patch of wall. Mm. Yeah. And it yeah, really works. They drive over to get themselves ahead through Kelo Liarawa, the second row, who goes on after he retires from rugby in shortly after the World Cup, these were his last games. Oh, he played for Fiji until 2008. He retires and becomes a politician. Oh, wow. And no. is currently a National Federation Party, sort of the Fijian equivalent of an MP. Fancy in that. Fiji. What a talented man. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he need any talent to be a politician, but I, I like to think that he's a good one. I like to think he's a good one. I hope he's yes. a good one. And he's probably the only MP who's scored against Japan in the Rugby World Cup, I'm guessing. Mm. Although it's Fiji, so like... <laughs> yeah, there's a good chance they're all in. Which gets super so, yeah. into MP-ing. Um, they're currently that... in coalition, his party. Oh. Part of a coalition. He's been a team player, hasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Always done team sports, so coalition is the logical <laughs> next thing to do. Yeah, the... it's worked out for him. The, the television coverage of that try is seemingly, again, sponsored by whychooseplasma.com.au. That subliminal advertisement <laughs> crops up just as that try goes over and, and the kick happens. Yeah. But once again, kickoffs. Kickoffs going mental. Japan just, just go, yeah, all right, we'll have another attack. But the thing is, at, that, at this point, you suddenly realise, oh, wait, we're like 77 minutes into the game here. Like, there's mm. not that long, long left. And you feel like there is so much fun stuff going on that clearly most of the time with this half has been taken up taking conversions and stuff because or, or, anything that's not ball and play has been conversions at least. And you feel like, <laughs> oh, no, I want more of this. As you say, Claire, like we eventually get our wish and the, the game is extended by a good like six or seven minutes. But yeah, looking at that driver from Fiji and going like, oh, wait, there's like six minutes left. And then realising there's so much still to happen in this game. So much. What was really strange for me was rooting against Fiji. Because <laughs> yeah. for me, as for so many people, Fiji are one of my second favourite teams. I tend yes. to want to see them play well. And unless they're up against Wales, pretty much I want them to win. And yet Japan were the underdogs in this case. And you so desperately wanted the comeback to come off. And they were playing some really, really fun rugby. Yeah, really, really fun. And for these last five minutes, John Kerwin, the coach, comes down to the sideline. Oh, I and I that. love coaches on sidelines. I love yeah. him shouting and being so animated and desperate because he knows this would be their first win since 1991 in a World Cup. Yeah. Zimbabwe. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Much a, Yeah, yeah. This would be huge for Japanese rugby. 
and it's him standing with the players and you're seeing him react to everything like every time they drop the ball every time the referee makes a decision you know every time they do something they execute something well you know he turns to his players and you can see him either celebrating or with his head in his hands like there's so much animation on his face and so much passion to him i absolutely adored watching that i would have happily hmm. had like a camera of kerwin just in the corner of the screen the whole yes. time and it's so much better than those GoPros you get put in coach boxes these days, mm. because exactly that. He's engaging with the rest of his squad, with his wider coaching group. He's on his feet, so he's so much more animated. He's an yeah. animated bloke to begin with. Always you see the dynamic, with. don't you? Yeah. yeah. It's brilliant. It's so immersive. I wish we I wish we would do it more often. Or just force coaches to be on the sidelines like they are in football. Yes. Yeah, bring them down, have them sit there. It'll be grand. It'll Let be great. It'll be great for us. Fight. Yeah. <laughs> Ronan O'Gara liked this. <laughs> yeah, Japan get onto the line having regathered that kickoff, having had a set piece. I think there's a very good call for penalty try off the scrum where they're stopped just short. Or the mall, sorry. They're brought down just short, what looks to be very illegally to me, but they play on, they work a few phases. Who wants penalty then... tries? I want to see someone put the ball down. Well, quite. Yeah, uh, by this point. <laughs> Hare Makiri, the number six of Japan, comes into play nine, and he does a magnificent job of looking like he's going to drive himself about half a second. He kind of picks the ball up, looks up, looks at the guy in front of him, begins to charge, and delivers it still pretty crisply to Luke Thompson, who can charge in one on one and get over for his second try. A natural first receiver is Luke Thompson, <laughs> of course. But it's really good the way that, the, and it's I guess it's more of a tactic nowadays, but the way that they seamlessly transition from picking and going into doing offloads, mm. and they've managed to find a weak shoulder for Luke Thompson to, to just flop over, essentially, for a try. And you look up the scoreboard and go, oh, wait, they're in this. Like, they could win this. And yeah, it's all the drama that you ask for from a game as, as much of a banger as this is. Puts it to 31-35 with about 90 seconds to go. And as we come to the kickoff, something notable happens in that for the first time since Neil Francis played in the 1987 Rugby World Cup, we see a penis on screen in a Rugby World Cup match. Yeah, we really do. I, I saw the streaker, but I wasn't expecting like full anatomical exposure. And I, I was shook. Yeah. Not it's... one of the parts I rewound. Let the record show. I did not watch that a second time. <laughs> because that's the like when whenever they show a streaker, it's normally because they know they figure they're safe enough that they're covered up. Mm. Yeah. Not in this I'm case. Away from the camera. Yeah. Did, did you two listen to the conversation that was being had about this by between the, the referee and, some, and the referee? Yes. Yeah. The, the referee says to Nicky Little as he's taking the kickoff, is that one of your players you're looking to sub on there? And Nicky Little <laughs>, laughs. And I was like, what? And then then there's for, as you say, anatomical exposure is exactly the phrase I would use for that. And you go, oh, okay, that's the joke that was being made there. Yes, long before the Arway run, runs, we've got a member of parliament there. So that takes place on the sideline. We see too much. I enjoyed the Australian commentators going to apologise for what we've just seen. They're going, actually, it's after midnight in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> it's post-Watershed. Let it all hang out. You have a replay. Tell the and players that... that. Get it on. Get the message on. And that was where Naked Attraction was invented. <laughs> yes. In Toulouse in 2007. <laughs> and then you remember there's a game of rugby that has a dramatic ending to mm. it, right? 
And something oh. even more insane happens just after that. Japan take the kickoff. <laughs> and tell you, this is such a bizarre passage of play. It, it just is. keeps getting longer and longer and more and more odd. Because like Japan get downfield a bit, then Fiji turn it over because that's been the whole theme of the game. And despite there being about 10 seconds to go, Fiji kick it long. And this is the first, <laughs> unbelievably, it's only the first time they do this. <laughs> but if, I just love, you, I was going to say you couldn't write it, but of course you could write it because it, it's what you've seen all afternoon. They managed to miss touch again mm. and yes. put it right in a Japanese bread basket with plenty of space to play it. So it, it's a proper gift. It's just brilliant. It's such a brain fart. And and maybe maybe it's the French culture rubbing off on them, but it's such a wonderful way to unnecessarily prolong the game. And it it really is a gift to us. They clearly had the viewers in mind, didn't they? You know, like this game is so much fun. We want we want to provide entertainment. And so we'll do it and we'll put our win on the line for it. And then Japan played 14 phases of it. Um, And it. It feels interminable, but in the best possible way. And there is so much belief in this Japanese team that you really feel like they're going to do it, despite despite Robin's doing his absolute best mm. to lose possession every single time he's involved. He's practically throwing the ball forwards, throwing it downwards at the turf forwards every time he gets it. But they keep recycling it. It's just amazing. So, like, Philip O'Reilly knocks it on just as they've made a really good passage of you know, games have just gone under the halfway line. He knocks it on. The clock is red. Like we're on like 80 minutes and 50 seconds by this point. <laughs> and who is it? I think it's Ligani. The, yeah, the it's yeah, 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 yeah. He goes, you know what? I fancy this and kicks ahead for himself to chase rather than In normal it out. time, that would have been an excellent kick. Yeah. But it was clearly, it was, it was the id versus the ego. Like, <laughs> do I want to do something that's going to show up brilliantly on a highlights reel or do I want to just kick this out and win the game? And you know what? He goes for the glory option and who can fault him? Yeah. But he only finds Hirotoki Onozawa back there, who we, since this World Cup, learn is insanely fast. And if you give him a broken field, he will punish. And he's fresh off the bench. And he sprints like a good, what, 30 metres and gets out of his own 22. Uh, I think Anishi comes up in support. And next thing you know, they're in the Fijian half. And you're going like, wait, the defence is broken. They're still getting back on side. Like, they could they could punish them here. Oh, it all really opens up at one point. Like, it looks like the, the path, the trial line is open. But it's Hitoshi Ono that's in front of the gap yeah yeah and it ends you know he can't squeeze through it in time his poor firefighter legs even before he's <laughs> you know even before he's burnt them alive and lived his 800 lifetimes and learned the wisdom that will guide the hero to the gracious victory he's not quite there yet he can't do it entirely himself he needs the young whippersnapper to come and learn the lessons from him at the ancient temple <laughs> and yeah, so he can't make it, but Japan still have it. They still yeah. keep Get pressing. Get up to 22, like Fiji and Tata's here. And um, mm-hmm. I just the whole time, I'm just like, I'm essentially counting down the meters and going like, come on, you've only got 15 more to go. Let's go, let's go. <laughs> and the fact that they made that fu- that much ground at the pitch, it's insane. And Japan are so fit. It's become mm, a yeah. trademark of Japanese rugby teams. But I think, again, we didn't know all that much about them back then. And the fact they were still going over the course of 80 minutes and Fiji are really struggling by this point, which is wild because although there have been wholesale selection changes, Japan did play another game four days previously. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can we talk about the Luke Thompson chip kick? Yes. 
it's a choice. Everything I've said about him being a natural 10, and look, all natural 10s make an error at some point, right? Mm, it's very fly half. We've got advantage. I'm going to try a speculative chip that isn't on. Yes, except yeah. he's actually a second row. But the thing is, at this point, I didn't realise they had advantage mm. until after he kicked it, and then the referee calls them back, and I'm like, oh, thank God for that. I think you say I'm... that you know, accept that he's a second row, but I think emotionally by this point he is wearing 10. Yeah, that's true. He's juggled the number on his back. Yeah, exactly. I I don't think it occurs to him for even a second that it's not his place to kill. No, no, I agree. I agree. When I say thank God that there was a penalty advantage, more than anything, I didn't want him to be the person who loses them the game. Yeah. Yeah, because he's been fantastic. Yes. And there's quite a lot of moments of just like quietly tidying things up. He does as well as his fly halving. Yes. He's just, he's a really good second row as well as being a world class 10. Yeah. Woman in Kira just over and over again being the person there to bring quality and consistency yeah. to the game that's completely frenetic. Mm. Yeah. And so Japan tap the tap the penalty. Oh, and they John Kerwin is losing it on the Oh he is he's screaming oh, a move right. clearly. Like he's screaming the same word over and over. Yeah. And it seems to be a sort of he's calling a move for them to run. And yeah, he's like so tense and so stressed on the sideline. Such a great moment. We get into the 85th minute of the game and they take this penalty. They're tapping it. They're up to 10 metres out and they're just, they're spreading the ball. They're going with the forwards. They're just trying to do everything to break that door down. And before we get to the full-time whistle, I just want to stress the last thing Japan did in this game was extremely positive. That Onazawa runs such a good line and you think he could break through Mm. here before he does eventually lose the ball. But, like, I don't blame Japan for anything they did, for any way they managed that. Like, it wasn't through a lack of either heart or knowledge or good decision-making or anything that they eventually didn't score that try. I just wanted to really stress that. that The last thing they do in the game is extremely positive. It's some of the best attacking rugby they put together, is one of the best in the red. It's incredibly impressive. You're dead right. If they'd found that sooner in the match, you can say with complete certainty they'd have walked away with it. And yeah. I think if they played, I was going to say an extra, you know, if they played 85 minutes, they did. If they played 90 minutes, I think Japan <laughs> win that game. Yeah. I yeah. think even if there's just another passage of play after that where Fiji can't kick it out, I think there's a good chance they win it back and they go and they score. They look mm. so much fitter and they've got so on top and they look so much more organised by that point where yeah. Fiji are kind of scrambling and they're incredibly talented, but they've had two players who could have kicked it out and have instead just gone, now nah, let's just have a crack. Yes. You know, and I think Japan have got this kind of mentality where they're really going for it. I know it's a phenomenal last 10 minutes. Like I was on a massive high watching it. Yeah. I was half expecting Fiji to not kick that ball out. Yeah. Yes. Again, again. They, you know, we call Japan the brave blossoms. And I think in when the clock's in the red there, they are so, so brave. And equally, the, the Fijians were flying. Um, but I <laughs> just so delighted that Japan got a bonus point from this fixture. Obviously, yes. the win was theirs for the taking, but the fact that it meant they didn't finish bottom of that pool mm. was thoroughly deserved, given the performance they put out there. Absolutely. That's amazing. So it ends 31-35. It's a hell of a game. It is on YouTube if anyone wants to go and watch yeah, it. Yeah, strong I, recommend. Second half in particular mm. is yeah. well, well worth watching, or from about 35 minutes onwards, maybe. The first half an hour is entertaining enough, but like it really kicks into gear as it goes on. I don't know, Claire, how you found it as a game to have watched, as an experience to have gone back to? Really fun. So nostalgic and time warpy in terms of the the 
match cut, the press that was put around the game, the fans, everything that they were wearing, everything about it really forced me back to 2007. But also it was just a really rip snorting second half and a chance to watch Japan. And we we saw some of the best of Fiji in other matches in this tournament, Mm. but this was the best we saw of Japan in this competition, that second half. And it was a real treat to watch them flying and full of confidence and playing all out attack in a game in which none of us have mentioned defence once. And we've been talking (laughs) 19 minutes. Defence didn't feature in this match. It was entirely a game about who could take their chances or rather who could butcher the fewest chances. And just because of that, it was so fun. It was so fun. That's amazing. That's completely it. Shall we move on to celebrating the very best with Man of the Match? Absolutely. I think one guy we've not mentioned that much, but I think was quietly really good, was Moses Rolowini, the scrum off of Fiji. I think he had a really good game, was quite responsible for kind of the tempo of the game that they were playing. And I think, yeah, he he had a, a big part to play. But ultimately for me, it boils down to the two players we'll probably mention the most, being Ungera and Thompson. By a whisker... I'm going to give it to Ungera on the spot. But Thompson couldn't have done more, I think. Like, he was Japan's shining light the whole way through. I would have read an identical list to you. <laughs> I would have said that, yeah, Raluni didn't get much of a mention, but he was fantastic. Uh, made a couple of breaks, kept their pace really high. I thought he was very, very good. And showed even more once Japan didn't have a scrum off. It became more, <laughs> even more obvious how good yeah. he was. Yeah, then Luke Thompson was outstanding. But I think even though he goes off on about the hour mark, I think the impact Akapusi Angera makes yeah. makes him for me the, the dead on man of the match. Like I'm not really making much more of an argument than that. Fair enough. I um, find it tough to p- pick between the two, but yes. Claire? I'd like to give a shout out to Japan's inside centre, Onishi, mm. who yes. kicked six out of seven, which isn't to be sniffed at in a game with the stakes uh, so very, very high. And also just made some wonderful Maisie runs. He's a very evasive runner, but can pack a punch as well. So there was some nice game line punctures, which I thought were lovely. But this, again, it's really obvious, but it has to go to Ingera. I just can't see mm. it going anywhere else. For, for three reasons, the quality of his tries, mm. both of which were solid, eight out of 10, nine out of 10, even 10 out of 10 scores. The significance of his tries, because you don't need a degree of maths to figure out that without them, Fiji would have lost this game. That, that was 10 crucial points. And finally, because I wanted to give it to a player who epitomised Fijian rugby mm. in their interventions. And it's really something that I've therefore given it to him because all 44 players involved that afternoon played Fijian-style rugby for the yes. entirety of the 85 minutes we saw. Even Japan got in on the action, but I think he <laughs> by just kind of transcending what you would consider physically possible from a back rower in 2007. Mm. I think he made himself into player of the match. He deserves his bottle of pop. (laughs) (laughs) Stealing from Antoine, yes. Yes. And like his work at the breakdown as well hasn't really been mentioned. Yeah. But Japan secured about four of their own rucks during the time he was on. You know, there's not a coincidence. Yeah, I thought he was absolutely outstanding. Yeah. Nailed on, unanimous man of the match. And so brings us on to the dick of the day. Uh, Will, do you want to start again? Sure. I mean, I felt sorry for him, but I kind of had to write down Rambeni for dropping so many balls. But thankfully, he pulled it back in the end and redeemed himself, which I was very glad to see. Nicky Little is one who, for the way he managed that last play, (laughs) keeping the ball in play and not kicking it out was a choice. I mean, 
I have to mention Philip O'Reilly for reasons you previously mentioned yeah. that I've learned on here. Ultimately, though, I'm going to take a leaf out of your book, Robbie, what you've said in past, and my dick of the day is the streaker. Yeah. Oh, that's mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm again. Sorry, Claire. It's fine. I oh. was going to go down a very similar line of logic. We've seen a literal dick of the day. It's it's going there. It's either that or to the TV match director to get caught up in my hot take again, giving us that mental image that will never leave many of us. Though my other nomination would be Avril Lavigne for um, <laughs> for very cruelly leaving Soma. Yeah, mm. I would never do that. That's such a shame. My main my main beef with the streaker, by the way, is that I think all pitch invaders should be canine. That's a very good point. Like, why was he not a dog? Yeah, it's okay to be naked if you're a dog. That's exactly. my philosophy online. <laughs> it's a good album title. Yeah. Is it really harsh to give a dick of the day just an affectionate nod to Robbins for mm. just not being brilliant with 10 on his back and then actually being even worse when ostensibly <laughs> wearing nine? Yeah. And masterminding some, some really wonderful uh, duds across the course of the match. Yeah. Bless him. Arguably also at the heart of one of Japan's great performances of the noughties. But I think it's, it's <laughs> worth mentioning him in that conversation. Yeah, but obviously, obviously it does have that's to That's fair enough. Today. Push and pull, in it? It's push and pull, back and forth. <laughs> so, Claire, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for that. Thank you for giving us so much of your time. Where can people find you? Where can people find all of your work, your everything? Please, please plug, plug, plug. Tell us where people can hear more of your delightful voice well i mean you can normally find me at a rugby pitch um <laughs> but in a more sort of uh, accessible and intangible way i guess you can find me on twitter at claire <laughs> underscore g thomas uh, or on instagram at claire g thomas people keep telling me i should get tiktok but i just i don't have the time um so those are the two platforms and i i work on lots of different rugby so if you hear this voice you'll know it's me if you hear someone say watch <laughs> on your radio or your telly it's probably me or it's one of the owens who have decided that they'll start using that word more frequently <laughs> absolutely that's entering my vocabulary no i also just wanted to say thank you for coming on as we said before we started recording you know we've lined you up for a while as somebody who wants to have on and just genuinely like we both mutually love your work and that we love the premier 15s here and i think that the contribution of not only yourself but also the likes of sort of nick heath cat merchant philip tutier and the wonderful people you have around you is a big part of why we enjoy that league so much so keep up the good work we love to see it from uh, squidge towers they are all absolute diamonds it is so much fun going to work with people that knowledgeable and good at what they do and just friendly honestly the train journeys back from exeter with tinnies and all of rugby <laughs> to dissect are really truly special they're some of my favorite parts of my job i'm very okay lucky. i'm gonna pencil in a trip to exeter sometime soon <laughs> well we're all going down on saturday exeter loughborough lightning it's oh be- very nice there we go no thank you so much for having me it's a proper privilege to have been asked and i've had a lovely time i cannot believe we've been on this call for two hours and ten minutes now <laughs> i know it's ridiculous. One flies when you're quoting Avril Lavigne. <laughs> <laughs> That's words to live by. Thank you to everyone that has listened as well. Please join us next week when we will be talking about Tonga against the USA with David Lawrence of the Scrum of the Earth podcast. And in the meantime, I hope you have a lovely day and that it is good and tomorrow is good as well. Claire has covered her face, realising... This is 
so far below her standard. How could she let herself <laughs> drop to this? The wheels have come off and there's not a bus there anymore. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> the wheels have come off and so is everything else. The <laughs> wheels on the bus go, oh no, where are the wheels on the bus? It's to quote, just Robbie sat on the floor clutching a steering wheel. <laughs> <laughs> and crying. <laughs> but enough about the first few years of my life. <laughs> Will, thank you as ever. Claire, Brilliant. thank you very much. And we'll see you all next time. So long. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 